Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to give a heartfelt shout out to Wilson Gator who left us a review on iTunes. It's called Not Even a Social Worker. I enjoyed listening to podcasts in areas I am not well versed in, and I didn't know what to expect jumping into one intended for social workers. This is one I ended up looking forward to following. Catherine not only brings a decade of experience to the table, she also delivers positivity, motivation, and a great laugh to the show as well. I've enjoyed listening to the guest speakers as they all derive from different roles within the social work community. Glad I subscribed to this one. Thank you so much again, Wilson Gator. I really appreciate the feedback and the review, and I'm just here to provide value to everybody who listens, and I appreciate you. Now let's jump right into this episode. Hello. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Social Workers Rise. I don't know about you, but it has been one hell of a week. I'm recording this on March 24th. So as you all know, this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus is pandemic levels and it changes every day. There's new stuff, new anxiety, new fears, new worries, new statistics coming out all day, every day. And it's just too much, you guys. It is too much. I was feeling confident going into this. And I still am feeling pretty confident. But um, it's been a journey. So I can't even lie. It's It's been a journey. And um, it's hard because I just can't get away from it. So it's... Um, it's just stressful on so many levels. It's scary. We feel out of control. A lot of this is out of con- our control. And it's really just had an impact in every area of my life, including work, my family, and the things that I do to de-stress and cope, which I like to go outside and be in nature and go in the hot tub and they have closed all of those things. So that's been really hard for me to to deal with. But, you know, just like I talked about before, I just change my mindset, change my focus, try to do the best that I can on any given day. I was feeling really stressed and overwhelmed today just with everything going on. And I feel like it is getting closer to me and my circle and my um, my family and friends. So I knew that I had to just get out of the state of mind of fear, refocus, ground myself, 
do all of the things that we tell ourselves that we need to do that we that we learn and it really takes practice we can't just go to school get our master's degree get our our bachelor's degree learn all of these things and then expect that they're going to work forever it doesn't work like that it's one of those things are like our physical health we have to work on it every single day it's the same thing for our mental health so our mental health we have to continually work on it every single day it's a muscle that we continue to grow and we cannot just learn it once and do these exercises once and deep breathing once and think that it's going to be okay we have to do it every single day And today I had to employ a lot of different coping strategies and techniques. So I was like, okay, you know, I've done some work. I went for a jog on my lunch break. I knew I had to change my physical body to just kind of get me out of my head. So when I'm exercising, it's a really big coping mechanism for me because when I'm exercising, I'll be honest, I'm not very good at it, (laughs) in my opinion, and so it's more about survival, like, okay, you can do this, and it forces me to focus on my breathing for survival, and so it really helps me to clear my mind and just really focus on breathing, which in itself is a coping technique. I have to be mindful of my breath, and it allows me the space and the time to be aware of my surroundings and to appreciate all of the beauty that's around me. So I'm lucky to live near a lot of trees and some open space and I'm able to just appreciate it and be in nature, look at the pretty flowers since it's springtime and Just find little tokens of beauty to be thankful for and to be grateful for. I found that fear and gratitude cannot be in the same place at the same time. So if I'm focusing on something that I'm extremely grateful for, then I'm no longer fearful in that moment. So that's kind of just a little tidbit about how I've been coping and getting through all of the craziness of COVID-19. And, um, you know, one of the other stressful parts of this entire situation is I think about the people who are, are really struggling. So, so that's another, another tool that we can use is to just get out of our own minds and to focus on other people and how can we help them? So that is also what I've been trying to do. And and um, I'm going to just share a little story. So right now I am working in a medical clinic with patients who are chronically ill, who have a lot of different health conditions, and who may or may not transition to hospice. And... I came from hospice before. That was my first job that I worked there for about four years. And I loved it. The hospice patients, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them and their family were very sad, but they had a sense of peace about them. 
that they felt a sense of fulfillment and a sense of life completion. And most of them have, you know, accepted that they're going to die and that this is the end. And, and it is very sad. And people were, were appropriately, you know, coping and, and tearful and sad. Um, you know, for the most part, there's always the people who are kind of outliers and need additional emotional support and, and aren't accepting. But for the most part, they were, the patients were pretty well supported. The family had a system in place to help care for them and to make sure that all of their physical, mental, and emotional needs were being met to the best of their ability. And so that was one thing. And then when I came to the palliative clinic where people were not on hospice yet, maybe they're going through some treatment. Maybe they have just some like long, long lifetime illness that they've been trying to live with and cope with. I noticed that a very, I noticed a very significant difference between these two people and where they are in their life's journey. So the palliative patients, a lot of them were alone. A lot of them had very limited support systems. A lot of them who had less support systems needed more resources. So they needed the meal delivery, they need transportation, they needed all of these resources, um, you know, counseling, in-home visits, things like that, because they didn't have the support system of the family to help provide these things. So the people who do have a big family involved or maybe a lot of friends or nieces or nephews or, you know, people in their lives who are able to to help and be near and close. And it has nothing to do with money. It's just purely the relationships that they have and the quality of those relationships. Those people who have those relationships around them need less resources. They're more self-sufficient and able to to pull together their their loved ones and their family to get them to the to the doctor's appointments. They don't need the transportation. They have someone who can help them grocery shop and bring groceries home and and help them cook the meals if they need it. And so the people who came to the doctor's office as their method of socialization, those are the people that I'm most concerned about because there are a lot of them who on a regular basis don't talk to anybody. They might say hi to their neighbor every once in a while, but there's no quality relationships there and they're very isolated. And the only social interactions that they got were the doctor's appointments. And now those are gone. And even the people in in facilities, them too, I'm concerned about them because even during normal times, there was such, oh my gosh, such loneliness in a lot of the facilities because people did not have regular visitors. A lot of them didn't have friends that they really felt connected to or family that would visit them. And now that visitors are completely banned from facilities like that, 
I mean, they're, they may be more physically safe, but I'm really worried about all of these people and their mental safety. I'm worried about the rates of depression and loneliness and, you know, suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. And in social work, we see this all over the place. I know that this is not just in the population, in the older adult population. I know that people in schools see it with kids all the time. You know, there's, um, there was a study that Cigna did that showed that the young generation, so the people who are, oh, I don't know, the gen- is it Generation Z? The ones who are, you know, in their late teens, early 20s right now, they are our most lonely population, ironically. Well, ironically for me, because I remember at that age, gosh, you couldn't pull me away from my friends for longer than, you know, a day. <laughs> that are my relationships were everything. So that was very ironic for me. And so we just see this all over in social work. People who have limited physical connections, they don't have the quality relationships, and they don't feel a sense of connection to their community, to their friends, to their church, to their neighborhood, a lot of times they're more likely to be lonely, depressed, anxious. They have the higher suicide rates and they do need much more support and resources. So that was just one of the main differences that I noticed and one of my concerns going forward with this COVID-19 because we as humans need that physical connection. From the time we're born, from the time that we're babies, to the time that we die. We need to be held as babies. We've, you know, seen the research come in that, and even just know that babies need to be held and they need that physical touch and that physical connection to thrive and to feel safe and secure. Same thing when we are at the end of our lives. So many times... The comfort that we provide to people who are on hospice involve the family members and their loved ones just holding their hands, putting lotion on their hands, um, just being there and and being that physical touch. Um, You know, we're just made like that. Humans were just made like that. And it's a way that we are expressing our love and how we feel connected, safe, and secure, which is extremely important. And, you know, it's not this whole social distancing thing. I I understand, you know, we have to do it right now. Um, you know, it's just hard. And even to, it's going to have just so many impacts. I'm kind of thinking long-term. I'm always thinking long-term because I, and maybe this is I overthink to a fault, but it's just who I am. So I think about all of these things and the systems involved and how all the systems affect us. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, if this is how it is right now, what are we going to expect to see in the coming weeks and months as this thing plays out? Because 
everywhere I hear it's just going to get worse. So New York is ramping up to get ventilators, 20,000 ventilators. And the thing that breaks my heart is they're expecting to be maxed out and to have 20,000 souls unable to breathe on their own. And that just, just breaks my heart. So, and again, you know, the whole physical connection thing, people aren't, that's 20,000 people who, who aren't going to be able to, to feel that sense of physical connection. And it's just very important. You know, again, there's been research on the benefits of getting eight hugs a day and that, and I'll put this link in the show notes, but, um, there's actually a lot of great benefits to getting eight hugs, which it improves our physical health, our mental health. It reduces our anxiety. It actually releases, hugs release chemicals that make us feel happy. It lowers our heart rate. It improves our blood pressure and it reduces our stress levels. And I don't know about you, but lately I'm just been like, Ugh, it's so overwhelming and so stressful that I just need a hug from my husband. I mean, my husband is really, and my daughter is, <laughs> luckily I have two great hug givers that I can, um, I can rely on, but I know a lot of people don't do that. And I recognize that privilege that I have and, you know, just trying to do my best with the resources that I have. So, you know, that's, that's why I'm, you know, a little, I'm worried about just people and, and all of the people that are affected by this on just so many levels that, you know, we're, our relationships and connection are suffering. And, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, what would the world be like if everyone had at least three people that they trusted or could rely on for the emotional and physical help when we need it? You know, what would that look like and how would that play out and what would that look like for our mental health? You know, would would depression, would that decrease? How much would the loneliness rate decrease? You know, would our life satisfaction increase? Would suicide, you know, even be a topic anymore? Would people be able to be more fully themselves and come out of the darkness and live out their life purpose? You know, I wonder if it's just something as small as as having those strong three relationships for people. And, um, you know, I, I don't know the answers. I don't know what that would look like, but I know that the path that we are on is not a good path. And, you know, even before COVID-19, we were already in a loneliness epidemic. We were already in a depression epidemic. I mean, suicide rates are through the roof. And I know specifically, I'm here in Orange County, California, older adults have the highest suicide rates of all of the ages. And so, you know, I'm, I'm concerned for them and I'm concerned for, for their mental health when, when relationships are so important for our mental well-being, you know, how are they doing? How are they? I mean, how are they really? And who are they able to call if they're feeling down. I know that there are resources and and I have given a lot of people resources and during this pandemic 
myself and the social workers that I work with, we have been getting a lot more calls just for anxiety, just to be able to talk to people, provide reassurance, allow them to vent, you know, just help them feel heard because there's no one else that they can vent to because everyone else is just as stressed or more stressed than they are. So, um, I'm just looking at my notes here. I made some notes because there was a lot that I wanted to cover today. Um, so I don't know, you know, what that would look like if, even if everyone had three people that they can rely on. I, I know that that's very idealistic and probably not very realistic for some of these people, but, you know, it just makes me wonder. Would we need as many resources as we, as we have now if we had really strong relationships with people? Um, and then I also think too, you know, what is the world going to look like if we continue down the path that we're currently on? If we continue to have a loneliness epidemic, if we continue to have high suicide rates, you know, what is this going to look like? And, you know, when we come out of this epidemic, you know, during this epidemic, like what is, what does that look like as far as the COVID-19, you know, how is that going to affect people's lives? What's going to happen a year from now, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, there's probably going to be people who experience vicarious trauma. If you're working in a hospital and you see a lot of people who have died, or if you tell people, you know, I'm sorry, but there's no more beds for you. We can't help you. And you know that you're sending them away to die. And that's very traumatic, very extremely traumatic. And, you know, are we, I know that we're not prepared as a country to deal with the after effects of, of this disease. And that scares me as well. But it also is an opportunity for us social workers and mental health professionals to really step up and say, there's a problem here. There's a gap that needs to be filled. What can we do? How can I help? How can I contribute? You know, let's get out of our heads, start taking care of ourselves so that we can show up every single day and be the best person that we are made to be. We have the training. We have the heart. We have the knowledge. We have everything that we need. We just need to step up and say, you know, what is it that needs to be done? What gaps need to be filled? Is the system working right now? Is it working for for everyone? No. Who is it working for? Okay, that's great. Who is it not working for? Let's figure out a different way to do this so that we can help the people who are not being served who still need that help. So I just challenge you to continue to, let's continue to rise up. Let's make some changes. Any change in the right direction will drastically help to shape our future. It's just like um, like a golf ball, okay? I don't golf very much, but you'll get the analogy. So when you're golfing, you want to hit it in a certain way. If you make even just the teeny tiniest little adjustment to your positioning, the ball will start in the same place, but it will end up in a completely different spot. So even just making a teeny tiny little change can really, really make a huge impact 
on where we go in the future. So I encourage you, if you see gaps that need to be filled, if you see a population that's not being served, to step up, see what you need to do, see what we can do together. Together we're stronger if we work as a family of social workers we can definitely definitely change the world and make some drastic drastic improvements to the lives of the people that we serve so i don't know what the answer is you guys i don't know i'm trying to figure it out too but i just know that you know, during this epidemic, I know that we talked about hugs. Please don't go hug people. (laughs) I want to just tell you that right now. Do not go up and start hugging people. Please, please, please practice the social distancing and quarantine, all of the stuff that they tell you to do, all of the things, all of the things. Do it, okay? But what else can we do right now today to increase our relationships? Can you reach out to somebody I know that for me, I have been calling my grandparents like double the amount of times that I normally talk to them because I am concerned. They are those people who, my grandmother, she's so sweet. She volunteers at my niece's or my cousin, that cousin, yeah. (laughs) She volunteers at my cousin's elementary school and helps the teachers there. Well, she's not able to do that anymore because the schools are shut down. And her other hobby was going to Costco. And and so we're telling her, please don't go to Costco, Grandma, because she's like, I don't know, in her late 80s. Like, she's up there, and she has some lung problems already. So she's in that high-risk population. But, you know, day-to-day now, she's kind of just like, well, you know, what do I do? How do I feel productive? So I just make sure that I call her extra now. Same thing with my grandfather, he his favorite thing was sports and going to the casino playing poker both of those things are gone there's no more sports and no more casino no more poker I don't know what he does well he says he watches tv but I mean it's just not the same so you know just knowing that they have someone who they can talk to that's thinking about them, that loves them and cares for them, I know goes a long way. And, you know, research has proven too that even if we, if our clients don't accept the help, it goes, it's really beneficial to them knowing that the resource is there when or if they need it. So, just making yourself available, letting your loved ones know, your grandparents, your parents, your neighbor, you know, whoever it is, just let them know that you're there and that you're thinking about them and like, hey, you know, I'm just hope making sure you're okay, you know, is there, is there anything that you need? Maybe you could, I don't know, Amazon Prime it to them or um, I know there's, oh, there's a lot of free food delivery uh, deals going on in some apps and, you know, that would, that would make me feel special if somebody said, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Like, here's some Chipotle. Like, oh my gosh. Anyways, just some ideas. But, um, let's see what else. Oh, oh my gosh. So I was talking to my sister and she is so sweet. She, I was telling her, her and I vent to each other and telling her how, how stressful it's been 
these past couple weeks and all of the things going on and she sent me a little bouquet of flowers because she lives in she lives across the country so she sent me a little bouquet of flowers and just said hey sending some love I'm thinking about you and oh my gosh I was so touched I could cry just the little gesture of love I felt like it was it was a little hug for my sister um, just when I needed it the most so there's things that we can do that don't involve us physically touching each other. Um, the other thing is sending cards. So a lot, a lot of people like receiving cards. I, I don't know. I've never met any person who said, oh, another greeting card is awful. Like I just, I just have never heard that. So <laughs> there's another idea. If you have some extra cards laying around, pull them out, wipe the dust off of them, and send them out. The post offices are still working, so write a little thoughtful note. Let them know that you're thinking about them and that you love them and you hope they're staying well and healthy and if you ever, if they ever need you, that you're here for them. I promise you that will go a long, long way. Um, and I'm sure you have your own ideas of things that you could do for your own people, so I would love to hear what you are doing to make a difference. You can find me on Instagram at Social Workers Rise. But, you know, just promise me one thing that you're at least going to do something. Do something, even if it's sending a text message to somebody letting you know that you're there. Just do something, okay? I know that that's not a lot to ask. I know that you can do it. And I know that together we all can make a huge difference in this. So, we're not alone in this. I am here. We are coping. We are rising together. Okay. Until next time. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, write a review and give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. This just helps other people just like you find us and join our community. Also, I would love to connect with you on Instagram. You can find me at Social Workers Rise. I can't wait to see you next week. Bye.